Nima Well, after that brief break, let's uh, go back to this passage that's just been read out to us. If I could uh, quickly remind you that as we're making our way through the the first chapter and uh, going into the second, um, the, the the basic theme of uh, Christ above all is um, dealt with in terms of the assured triumph of uh, this this gospel that it's it's the channel through which Jesus Christ is um, coming into the lives of individuals coming into their lives collectively as um, they they come together and form these local entities that we call local churches uh, colonies of faith acknowledging him to be above all, that um, part uh, as we hear of individuals being enlisted into uh, the body of Christ is that of uh, thanksgiving and praise to God. It is also that of uh, uh, praying for them and uh, seeing how Jesus Christ's preeminence is being realized in those individual lives. And for those of us who are preachers, as we saw, it is the task of remaining faithful, uh, proclaiming Christ in all his fullness, uh, being uh, stewards of what Paul calls here, making known the word of God fully, making the word of God fully known. Now, we mentioned the fact that really, at the back of Paul's mind was what he then comes on to address in the second chapter. And it is that of uh, um, the, the false teachings and philosophies that were undermining that reality. And, and basically his concern was that the Christian church, and here the brethren was writing to, that they might know that the solid foundation that God himself has laid in enabling us to become more Christ-like. That solid foundation that guarantees that those who come to faith in Christ will grow to be like him. And often that's where pastoral preaching comes in. Because some of you would have experienced this. I've, I've, I've gone through it quite a number of times. Um, someone comes to faith in Christ. They're excited, jumping into the air with three shouts of hallelujah. <laughs> free at last, free at last, they are saying. My sin is dealt with. It's, it's behind me and so on. And then a few weeks and months later, they come to see me with the head bowed down in shame. And the first thing they said to me is, uh, Pastor, Pastor, uh, I, I, I don't think I'm a Christian. And when I asked what it's all about, they then start sharing the fact that they found themselves sinning against the Lord, desiring what they ought not to desire, 
uh, thinking and saying and doing the things that they know to be wrong. And you can see the embarrassment on on their face as, as they are saying so. They can't even look me in the eyes. And when they finish speaking and they look at me, they see that there's a smile on my face. And uh, the first words that come out of my mouth is, welcome to the club. <laughs> this finally is real Christianity. And, and, and basically, that's where we can then proceed to go wrong. Because in then telling them how to overcome those sins, we can go the route of worldly philosophies. Success methods that are without Christ. And this is really what the Apostle Paul then is is coming to deal with as he enters into chapter 2. Already he has hinted at this when he was saying in verse 28 of the previous chapter, him we proclaim, not methods, but Christ is the one we are proclaiming, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we don't just preach Christ for people to come to God in repentance and faith. We preach Christ as the way in which we help them to mature and become what God wants them to be. And that's really what occupied the Apostle Paul and ought to occupy us as we are preaching to believers recognizing that it is again as they feed on the manna from heaven that they grow up into maturity. In chapter 2, the passage that we already read, again, the apostle is, is concerned about this element. When he says in the words we read uh, earlier, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and then here it is, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Again, it's in proclaiming Christ that individuals are reaching these heights. The opposite is Paul's concern Look at verse 4, which we already looked at. I say this in order that no one may be deluded or may delude you with plausible arguments. And that's his concern now as he begins verse 6, going to the end of the chapter. It's these plausible arguments. These, they, they, they seem to make sense if you were merely extrapolating from one argument to the other. Yes, it does seem to make sense. But Paul is saying it's a delusion. It's wrong. In fact, it doesn't really produce true godliness and holiness. Well, let's look at how Paul, therefore, works out this matter. First of all, he he argues for that which is the true foundation 
for godliness and holiness. And then he deals with that which is false and basically um, blasts it out of its uh, position. So let's begin with that which is positive. And he begins by making this statement using picture language in verse 6 and verse 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so that's in terms of your conversion, you, you owned him as Savior, so walk in him. In other words, continue with him. Don't leave him behind as though it's just a door through which you enter into Christianity. The rest of your Christian life, walk in him. And as though to make the point, he goes into the context of uh, a building, a building like this. It says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That rooted and built up in him is basically a picture of a, of a structure like this. That when you're putting up such a structure, the first thing you do is you put a foundation, a solid foundation. Now, once you've done that, you don't then go a few meters away and start putting up walls. That's folly. What you do is on that same foundation, that's where you begin to build the superstructure. And he's saying, that's the way the Christian life should be. You, you don't graduate from Christ, never. You continue in him. He is the, the source of all that you need for life and godliness. So having said that, he now comes back to this same issue of not being deluded with plausible arguments. And this is the way he puts it in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and here it is, and not according to Christ. Now, in a world in which we live today, with so much education that is really making people think that we can manage with life without Christ, that philosophy easily seeps back into the context of the church. So that you, you begin to think, especially when you're doing counseling, you're, you're dealing with individuals and their different kinds of problems or marriages with their different kinds of problems or society at large. It's fairly easy for you to begin to think that this is now beyond Christ. We now need to, to help individuals to realize their fulfillment in life through everything else other than Christ. And again, it's because they seem to be plausible. It, it, it seems to make sense. And the Apostle Paul is saying, are you Christians? 
if you are Christians, remember that don't shift from him. Don't let anybody take you captive in this kind of thinking. Now, verse 9 to verse 15 is is, um, a, a very intricate forest of doctrine. Paul seems to be saying so much here, and but let me simplify it for us, and then we'll quickly uh, walk through. Uh, first of all, as usual, he, he begins with Christ himself, and he's telling us we're dealing with God here. And in dealing with God, we're dealing with an infinite source of life, of everything that we need. And having said that, we will see that in a moment, he then uses two pictures that in many ways are saying the same thing. One is that of circumcision and then that of baptism. It's two pictures. But again, it's pictures that are speaking about the the separation that has taken place uh, from uh, sin and Satan and death and hell and everything that goes with that to this newness of life that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ that provides this assured future of moral and spiritual victory. So he's using these uh, two pictures. Once we, we are clear about that, we have a compass to make our way through a lot of saturated words that are here. Okay, so let's quickly do that, and I trust that we'll come to the end of verse 15 with uh, uh, still not feeling too giddy and dizzy, and so on. Okay, verse 9. So he's talked about not according to Christ. Now, the error of going that way is that you are going away from God himself. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He had already mentioned something of that earlier in chapter 1 in terms of who Christ is. So he's basically simply coming back and hammering it out that we may recognize that this is God himself we are dealing with, the very source of life, of holiness, and you mentioned it, joy, it's, it's all, and we have him. So why should you be going somewhere else? When you have him, you, you, verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is head of all rule and authority. The one who's now been given power over all. You have him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then he comes to this picture now. In him also, this is what has happened. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off 
the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So there's the picture that in circumcision, there is that separation that takes place in the flesh. And he's saying that's but a picture of what has actually taken place in your conversion. That there has been an actual separation, an actual breaking of this bond that was once there between you and sin and you and Satan. There has been this separation that has taken place. And he says, by putting off the body of the flesh, and that can also be seen in terms of sin itself, S-I-N. It has suffered a mortal wound by an act of God. So that's one picture. He changes pictures here, and he comes to, to baptism. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him, referring to Jesus from the dead. To, to borrow the way in which Paul puts it in Romans and chapter 6, when he's answering the question, um, shall we therefore continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means. How can you who died to sin dwell in it any longer? You died in Christ. So when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and was raised to newness of life, when you are converted, you are identified with him in that way. So that the death that he died, you participate in it in a spiritual way. And the rising from the dead on this end that took place, you are participants of that in him. There's been a real transformation that has taken place. You are no longer in this kingdom where sin and Satan and the world rule. You're no longer there. In Christ, there has been a real shift. You are now in him, in this new kingdom, which he called earlier on um, the kingdom of his beloved son. So he uses the picture of baptism to speak about that translation. And then he brings in the two in verse 13 and says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, And the uncircumcision of your flesh, this is now what has happened, again, the picture of baptism, God made alive together with him. You you are in this new sphere, a sphere where God rules and you with hearts and minds and everything are now individuals that are obeying him, having given us 
forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands and all that is talking about the cross where he paid for our debt. And therefore the, the penalty of the law is no longer hanging over our heads. This is set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him and triumphing over them by the cross. What a wonderful picture this is. It's often the way in which in, in, in movies, they, they tend to, to make heroes out of actors in that this individual goes into the, the enemy camp. They even search him. It's got nothing. Allow him in. Well, that's the beginning of their end <laughs> by bringing him in. Because that's where he has come to rescue the hostages. And while he is in there, he puts up the gallant fight. The hostages are not fighting. They, 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 they don't have the power. But he's trained to do that. And as armed as they are, he has been super trained. And in the process, he disarms them completely. The hostages go out with him. It's over. It's over. They are free. That's the picture that is there. In Christ's case, it involved an actual death. But that death was not some accident. It was according to plan. It was part of the rescue operation. And having died, having been risen again from the dead, well, he has now put to shame the rulers and authorities. They've been disarmed. In fact, he's now been given the ultimate throne. King Jesus Lord of lords and king of kings in order that he might now give eternal life to those whom the Father has given to him. And therefore now, it's nothing but what I called earlier on a mop-up operation. So Christ has done it all. There's no need to move on to something else, some, some worldly philosophy in order to, to then realize more and more and more of holiness and godliness and Christ-likeness and so forth. It's all in Christ. Well, therefore now comes to where he was heading. And verse 16 and verse 18 basically say, don't allow people to psychologically panel beat you 
into some kind of process of sanctification, some kind of growth of holiness that is emptied of Christ. Don't. That's what he was saying in uh, verse 4. It's what he has said in verse 8. He's now back at it in verse 16 to verse and verse 18. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, notice, but the substance belongs to Christ. So again there, he's obviously referring to legalism, asceticism. He'll come back to it in verse 20. But the point is, often that's where people go. The thinking is that, yes, that's, that's holiness. That's holiness by a list of do's and don'ts. That's holiness. So it's not just a Jewish problem. It's one that can easily creep into any Christian culture. Legalism. He goes on here to speak about what perhaps at one time would have meant a lot of sense to these people listening to Paul in Colossae. For us, we can conjecture what it is when he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. And then he says, and worship of angels, going in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And then he says, and not holding fast to the head. So asceticism, we've talked about it. We'll come back to it in a moment. What this worship of angels and being puffed up with a sensuous mind and details about visions. I'm sure for the believers to whom Paul was writing, the, it, it was what was taking place. And it was what was uh, gripping them. These mysterious claims that were taking place. Uh, and Paul is saying... As long as Jesus Christ is put in a corner, don't go there. Don't go there. He alone sanctifies his people. And hence he says they not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Again, you can't miss what he's saying. That ultimately, true sanctification takes place in Christ. It's a sanctification that God himself does as he is making you more and more like Christ. Those individuals who are introducing to you anything else bereft of Christ, are taking you down a fool's path. He comes back to it, and this time he's really rebuking the Colossians 
he says this in, in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, we'll come back to that in the next section. But for now, remember, you are in this world, you have died with him, and you've been raised to a new life in him. You've died to this. He says, now, if that's true, and this is not an if of, I'm not sure, it's an if of argument. One plus one must be equal to two. So if that's the case, he says, why, as though you were still alive in the world, in other words, this world that's under Satan's dominion, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not test, do not touch. And again, he's referring to the asceticism, the, the legalism that was mentioned earlier on. Questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival, a new moon or a Sabbath and so on. All these sort of pharisaic measures and rules and so on. He says, then why are you doing that? Why are you making that equal to sanctification? I love the way he puts it at the end here when he says, um, these, verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. In other words, on the outside, yes, people look and they say, wow, there is holiness walking on two feet. Look at him. He's got everything in place, outwardly speaking. Regulations of I don't do this and I don't do the other and, and so forth. And he's got everything they speak span in place. And here is what brings the whole thing down, crumbling down, when he says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Of no value. One of the things that the Lord used in, in bringing me to salvation was precisely this. I had grown up in a Christian home. I had gone to church there for all my life. Um, my elder sister got converted first um, when she came to university and the local Baptist church there was having special meetings for uh, first year students. So she went for those meetings and got converted. I was at boarding school. I came home, uh, back to dad's home, and uh, I found a completely new sister, new. Uh, things were terrible in the home. Dad had become an alcoholic and everything else. And uh, uh, born and bred in an African context, I knew I needed to respect him. But I just, just couldn't. And I was miserable. 
and 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 here was my sister in what I'd call abject poverty and 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 she's she's singing the praises of God as she's in the kitchen working trying to to piece together a meal out of next to nothing and i remember thinking if that's christianity i don't have it and that set me searching and then at about the same time a friend of mine who uh, had just become a christian wrote me an evangelistic letter pointing me to Christ for salvation. I met him about a month later. We used to go in Zambia at that time, we used to go through military training between secondary school and uh, college or university for about six months. And all the schools in one <laughs> province would be in one camp. So I met him there. And again, the thing that hit me was this, and this is the way I described it, that as we're together at camp, I, I felt as though his Christianity was from the inside out. That he was simply leaving out what was taking place in him. Whereas for me, I was trying it from the outside in. I was seeing the kind of life that Christians that I was admiring were living, and, and I was trying to, to make it work on the inside and failing miserably. Because this indulgence of the flesh could not be stopped by mere outward rules and regulations, couldn't it? It was miserable. Until three months later, I went back to this letter that my friend had written, read it afresh, and again, all it was saying was, go to Christ, it's got him. And that's what I did that day on the 30th of March, 1979. Just knelt by my bedside and prayed to Jesus Christ to save me. Of course, I didn't really appreciate the fullness of these doctrines that we're looking at here. But hey, that's exactly what God did there. There was the uh, circumcision. There was the, the spiritual baptism that took place there. There was a being made alive. The foundation of the superstructure was put into place on that day. And hence, from that point onwards, it's been a journey of becoming more and more and more like Christ. Now, this is a challenge again that, that comes to, to us, not just with respect to bringing people to Christ, but this aspect of building a people for God. That people should not simply be pointed to Christ for the beginning of their Christian lives. They should be pointed to Christ for the rest of their lives. That Christ is all and in all. He is the one we need, as we shall be seeing later in chapter 3, to deal with our 
personal stubborn sin. It's him that we need. It's him that we need to deal with our interpersonal difficulties. Where again, we ourselves, because of sin, are either acting or reacting to people wrongly. It's Christ. And we make a grave mistake when instead of pointing them to Christ and pointing ourselves to Christ, we, we, we go back to that picture that I used earlier on of, of beginning to build away from that foundation. Because when the wind will blow, when the storms begin to beat against that little life, you can be sure if it's not built on this solid foundation, it will come crumbling down. So we need to point individuals to Christ. Still within this context, it's, we do it by helping them to see this strong foundation that God has built into their spiritual lives. And that's what Paul did here in these many words that I tried to disentangle and make a little easier for us. So we're not just saying, go to Christ. He will deal with this matter. Don't worry, just go to Christ. We need to say to them, okay, come. Let's, let's drink in this deep theology. Let's, let's bury our heads for a while in Calvary. What was God doing there. And therefore, helping God's people in their crying out, either for the opportunity to, to overcome sin or to grow in Christ, to, 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 to drink in what the Apostle Paul calls, as he writes the Ephesians, the, the unsearchable reaches of Christ. The, the, the height and depth and length and breadth of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Enabling them to, to see the relevance. Because it's, it's as the Spirit of God opens their eyes more and more to what God has done in Christ Jesus that they then get strengthened to overcome Sin. Let's quickly go back again to uh, chapter 1. And uh, uh, I begin from verse 10. I would have wanted to go a little further up, but let me begin from verse 10. So as to walk in a manner, this is the fruit now, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that's, that's what you want to see happen. But here it is. May you be strengthened with all power 
according to his glorious mind for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has thus qualified you. So it is this, this power that gives you endurance and, and patience and, and perseverance with joy as you are thus overcoming day by day, year by year, indwelling sin, remaining sin. I'd advised you in the last session to, to keep in your pocket Ephesians 1. That's exactly what you're finding there. As Paul goes from that very long sentence from verse 3 to verse 14 and then enters into chapter 15 and he is thanking God exactly as he does here and then praying for the Ephesian believers. Again, he says that you might be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That you might be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. And to know him better, he breaks it down again into a number of areas, the hope that you have in him and so on. But the last is that you might know this power. This, like the power that he exerted when he raised us from the dead, that you might know it, not just know it here, but know it here. Know it experientially. And basically that's what he now handles further in that book. It's exactly what the Christian faith and Christian life is all about. We get sanctified. The, the power that overcomes sin in an ongoing way is not some philosophy that's been nicely put together by a well-known dreamer out there. It's the gospel of our Lord Jesus, the same that brought us to Christ. Lastly, and with that I must end, it's the way that Paul says, do not let anyone pass judgment on you. Do not let anyone disqualify you. And often that, that's where our problem is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's good for us to recognize that when the Lord saves us, he doesn't save us alone. He brings us into a body of God's people. We belong. But in that belonging, Again, it's, it's fairly easy as we are listening to teachers and we are listening to preachers. It's fairly easy for us to, to be destabilized, to, to end up going after individuals who um, say to you, well, you know, you... You, 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 at least in Africa, that's quite a common thing. You, you need, you, the problem you're having is because you haven't come to my meetings. You come to my meetings, and it will be an overnight meeting where there will be power. So 
the reason why you are struggling where you're struggling is because you 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 haven't come. You, you need to come, and often upon coming, there's an offering that you also need to bring. You know, it's, they're very clever. It's it's in the fine print, but it finally comes out. And therefore, you begin to think there's something out there that you've missed out on, and therefore you've disqualified yourself until you go through this whatever it is. May I suggest to you, what you need is Christ. Full stop. The bread of heaven. The 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 streams of living water that bubble and fill you up to overflowing. And therefore, your life is from the inside out. Sin cut to the root on the inside. And then it's, it's the good life that is growing on the outside, becoming more and more beautiful as you're becoming more and more Christ-like. What a glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us, first of all, to know this for ourselves. Never to move away from Christ. But also help us to help others as well by pointing them to that stream that is in the city of God that brings joy to God's people. God in the midst of her. Oh Lord, help us to proclaim him. For Jesus' sake, amen. Nima, 